Well, we're kicking off uh, a new series, and ironically, I think it's kind of funny, maybe you don't think so, but we're starting a series called Don't Be Stupid in a School, <laughs> right? So uh, Don't Be Stupid is, is the name of the series, and, and let me just ask a question. If you were just 100% honest, all right, how many of you have done something stupid in your life? Okay, all right. I, I think that's quite a bit of us. I think it's almost all. How about this one? And, 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 and when I ask this question, don't look around. Just, just look straight ahead. Look right at me. How many of you know someone who is being stupid? All right? Okay, all right. Yeah, a lot of us. Okay. Or you knew somebody was being stupid. All right? I mean, all that. And I'm not talking about IQ, by the way. We're going to see that in just a second. Uh, how many of you would like to be wiser if you just like to be wiser? All right, I think that's most of us, right? So, so in some capacity or another, we're speaking to the right group here about this whole series. The reality is that every one of us have done something stupid or knows someone being stupid. And again, it's not about IQ. We're not talking about that. We're talking about having wisdom for life. Um, I was trying to think it through uh, one stupid story, you know, which is really hard for me to have one stupid story because I probably have 10,000 stupid stories, you know, I mean, that kind of deal. And you know, I mean, I, you know, I had a stupid span of time when I was kind of in drugs and alcohol. That was pretty stupid. You know, I mean, I remember my earliest stupid moment. Matter of fact, it's on 8-millimeter uh, uh, tape. It's actually recorded. It was, it was actually a, a porch that was a little bit less than this stage. And I was on one of those cool red, you know, trike things uh, with the wagon hooked on the back of it too. It was actually kind of like a, like a little train thing. I was on the wagon and somehow it was tied on there. I was like two or three and I just nose plowed right off the end of that thing. It's on tape. So I'm an early starter with stupid. So it just kind of happened early, you know, anyway, but I was trying to think of maybe one story I could share with you when I was stupid. Um, and I don't know, uh, but here it is, seventh grade, seventh grade, we're going way back, all right, a couple years, and so seventh grade, I was just moving to a new school in Hastings, it was Hastings Junior High, that's where I was at, and in my way, when I moved, because we moved a lot when I was a kid, is we would go in, or I would go in, and I would try to impress people, and there was two ways that you could impress people in my mind, this is stupid, is that you would either be really bad, you know, I'm bad, you know, and do something bad, you know, like, like cuss at the teacher, or, you know, I mean, just whatever, just be bad, or you, you would get in a fight, I mean, which was kind of related to bad, and so I would do both really well, I mean, that was my thing, right? So after the first day of school, you got to realize, this is day one, mom sends me to school, I ride my bike to school, seventh grade, you know, get there, kind of meet with a group of guys, and I'm going to try to impress them. And after school, we walk across the street to the local grocery store, a little Jack and Jill or something like that. I don't know what it was. And so we go in there, and I say, hey, you guys want something to eat? They go, yeah, but we don't have any money. And I said, neither do I, but I'll get us something. So I'm going to be bad. So I go in there, and I kind of walk around. And I'm sure the whole store seen, seen me coming. They, you know, look at this. Here comes some stupid kid. You can see him stupid, 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 just coming in there. And I go walking in, and I'm thinking, you know what sounds good today is ch- uh, caramel nut-covered apples. That just sounds good. And there was a six-pack of them, which was, you know, that's pretty good size. So I just walked up to him, looked around, grabbed it, stuffed it in my coat. I'm like, I am cool, you know, and I'm walking out, and I walk right through the front door, cooler and cool, get to the front door, walk out just to go, hey, guys, I got this, and some big hand grabbed me on the back, on the shoulder, said, excuse me, son, uh, you didn't pay for those. I said, no, I didn't, because I could never lie. That was one of the things I'm halfway wise at. (laughs) 
And I said, no, I didn't. He said, uh, we got a problem here. So I get in. So I got, I got busted for shoplifting my first day of school in seventh grade. I got a ride home from the police officers my first day in school in seventh grade. So just, you know, just one little story of stupid. All right, just throw that one out there, okay? Maybe you have a story or two. So here's what's going to happen. Most of us, though, the reality is, is we don't give a lot of thought or attention to what it means to be wise. In other words, we just kind of hope it happens, like somehow it's going to hit us. All of a sudden, we wake up one day and boom, I'm wise. And it really doesn't happen that way. Uh, There's a little bit of effort that goes with it. So each week, what we're going to do during this series is we're going to look at different aspects on how to be wise, how to figure out how to be wise in a stupid world. There's a key text, and this is where we get the phrase, don't be stupid. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, Don't be stupid. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be stupid. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. And here's an interesting thought about this verse is to be stupid or to be wise is actually a choice that each and every one of us get to make. That little word in that verse that says instead means you have an option. You can be stupid or you can be wise. You can, you can be stupid or you can find out what the Lord wants you to do. You can kind of go through this process and try to figure that out. And you get the choice. I get the choice to either be stupid or wise. And so it's, it's all before us. And so in the series, we're trying to get a grasp of what it takes to have true wisdom. And so I'm going to just kind of, for just a few minutes here, kind of lay a foundation or some thoughts about wisdom so that we can make sense maybe of some of the rest of the message today. So here it goes, filling in the blanks uh, and your notes if you have them with you. True wisdom really, truly starts with a God perspective, a God perspective. In other words, it comes from God, it doesn't come from me. It's not something I can generate or make happen. It isn't going to happen that way. Wisdom is more than just a lifetime of experiences. How many of you know that experiences by themselves don't make you wise? How many of you know of a lot of people that have been through a lot of crazy, stupid experiences, and they're still stupid? Right? It just, just, it doesn't, it's not a guarantee. Experiences doesn't, nor does age. Age doesn't make you wise. You know, sometimes people just think, well, if you're 50 or 60 or 70 years old, you have to be wise, right? I don't know about you, but I know stupid old people. I just do, you know, and and so it's not an age. There has to be, and really what it is, is it starts with a God perspective, and there's two important starting points that we need to lay as a foundation, and here they are. The number, number one, biggest one, and this is all throughout the scriptures, is that I need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And it isn't that, oh, oh, God, it's this awe or this respect or this idea that this is his story, this is his show, and I need to figure out what it means to walk with him in the things that he's doing, in just like our verse, find out what the Lord wants you to do. And so healthy fear is a big part of it. Psalms 111 says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And then the second one, and this is where it becomes very personal, is the second idea of God's perspective is really based on love, a deep love. That, that I would understand that this whole idea of not being stupid and being wise isn't just so I could say I'm wise. It's because God in his love wants to see us find life that's worth living. That all of a sudden something's going to come alive in me because of love. And so true wisdom is gained when I get a God perspective of the depths of his love. So healthy fear, depth of love. Those two things really become a foundation for a God perspective. Here's a verse. Check this out. Ephesians chapter 3. And you, 
may have the power to understand. Another word for gaining insight or wisdom. You may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is his what? Love. I mean, so somehow this wisdom thing is connected to understanding God's love and having this healthy fear. And then it goes on. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. So here's the little catch. The catch is, is I can't get to a full wisdom until I step into eternity with God. So, but, but in the process, I'm supposed to do everything I can to try to figure out what it means to be wise or to be a student, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, to not be stupid. And so that's all part of it. So that's the first one. True wisdom starts with a God perspective. The second thought is this about wisdom, is true wisdom improves the quality of my life. True wisdom improves the quality of life. In other words, life is better with God's wisdom. You take God's wisdom out of the picture, I can almost guarantee you it's not going to be as good as it would be as if you would have God's wisdom with you. Let me put it in another way. Maybe this will be simpler. It's stupid hurts, right? It just hurts. When, when stupid happens and I'm, I'm walking through life and stupid is taking place and it's all about how I'm acting. Like, for example, when I did that thing in seventh grade, that was pretty stupid to steal the candy apples. It hurt my mom. Man, she, she was like, Troy. I mean, it hurt me. I, I, I went on probation, never got off until I was like 19. It just started a generation of, you know, I mean, it's stupid. It hurt. And so the quality is improved. If I do it, check out these verses. Proverbs chapter 2. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Here's an interesting thought. When I have wisdom, true wisdom, a couple of things happen. I'm not engaged relationally in stupid places because I can see it's stupid. I have wisdom. I understand this. Not only that, but I don't get caught up in, the, in the, the words or the thoughts or the ideas that really don't have any wisdom about it. That's what wisdom will do. It'll, it'll give me a buffer zone or protection from those things. Here, here's another verse, Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. In other words, stupid kills, wisdom gives life. And so this whole idea that it improves the quality of my life. Here's the third one. True wisdom starts with, God perspective, starts with a God's perspective. True wisdom improves the quality of my life. And true wisdom is more than human intellect. This whole series, we're not talking about IQ. We're talking about life wisdom. We're talking about how to do, wi- do life with this wisdom about us. Matter of fact, it, it, you could have a very low IQ and be very wise. It, it isn't based on that. Matter of fact, you can be very high IQ and be very stupid, right? I mean, you can be a brilliant professor and not really have any wisdom. You can, you can have that take place. And so true wisdom is more than human intellect. It's not just simply me knowing a lot of things. It's having wisdom to do life. It's not something I can create. Check out these verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So when God looks at human wisdom, he's going, that's foolish. Why? Because it's absent of him. There's, there, he's not part of it. 
And it goes on in that verse. It says, as Scripture says, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. In other words, it ends up being this true wisdom. And how many times have you had people where they thought their wisdom was the right wisdom and their way was the right way, when really what it was is it was a snare or a trap or something that was actually making them not be able to move and be what God created them to be. And that's what the Scripture's talking about. Here's, here's another verse, 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When we tell you these things, we do not use words. He's talking about when he tells them the message of the gospel, when he's talking about Jesus. He says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words that, given, that are given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truth. So somehow, some way, we have to understand there's two different wisdom camps out there. There's, there's human wisdom and there's spiritual wisdom. There's this my intellect and there's God's intellect. There's God's understanding and my understanding. And I need to choose which one is best. And he said, instead, that's where we're going after. So that's laying a foundation for wisdom. So today, I want to start the series with this statement. Don't be stupid. Be a student for life. Underline that phrase, for life. For life. Because that means two different things. It means simply this. It's for life. In other words, I'm going to gain life. Be a student to gain life. Be a student that's actually, when I understand that, I'm not going to be stupid, but I'm going to be a student for life. I'm going to gain life. I'm going to find something that brings about this change in me that's worthwhile. And then the second part of that thought, for life, is it's for duration. That isn't how, it's not just a thing that I, I went, I got the graduation paper, look, I graduated. That isn't how it works. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite of that with God. It's a lifelong process of learning. And so that's hopefully what's going to happen. Check out this verse. This is our key verse for today. It says in ver, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, to learn or to be a student, you must love discipline. It's not talking about discipline. We'll talk about this in just a second. Discipline like I'm, I'm disciplined to do my homework. I mean, that's important, and, but that it's, it's deeper than that. Uh, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. It is stupid to hate correction. And so this idea to be this constant student. And so maybe life's greatest challenge is to always be a student to consistently embrace new thoughts and look for what I call the aha moments. How many even know what I'm talking about when I say aha moments? All of a sudden you go, aha, I didn't know that before. Aha, God showed me something I could have never seen myself. Aha, he just revealed to me his love. Aha, I mean, we have these aha moments. I mean, they're, they're great moments that we have, and it's that student that is aware of those or alert to those. And so it's not avoiding challenges, a lot of times what we think of is that we're just looking for the easy route, but really many times the challenge is actually the pathway to learning, and so we've got to embrace some of those things. i share a personal story. Uh, recently, probably in the last, oh, I'd say six to 12 months, I've, I've been working with a personal coach, and, and here's why I'm working with a personal coach. Um, I, I've come to realize over the years that I am fairly, highly, substantially, majorly, dysfunctional, all right? I mean, anybody relate with me? Don't leave me up here. How many of you know what I'm talking about, all right? And I just realized, man, I got some stuff that I got to grow up in. There's some things that I need to develop in and be that I think is hindering me from being what God wants me to be. 
And so I started meeting with the coach. I said, and I, I gave him full permission. I said, here's the deal. I want, I want to figure out who I am and how I can be a better me. I want to figure out that. I, I want to learn that. I want, I want to do that. And so I'm giving you full permission to just start messing with stuff in my life. Go for it. And see, and, and through the process, I, I realized that, man, to be a, a more effective leader, pastor here at Southridge, I've got to learn some things. To, to be a better husband to my wife of almost 30 years, I've got to learn some things. And I told her, too, she's got to learn a lot of things. <laughs> you know? But I can't work. That my, my coach said, you can't do it like that. You've got to let her learn on her own pace. I said, I don't know if I agree with that. That's not right. But, you know, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other series. Um, and so I just realized to be a better husband, because I, I, I do. I, I, I've got some shortcomings. I need to learn. I mean, to be a better friend. I mean, I realize, man, I'm not really a very good friend sometimes. I'm, I'm just not. And, and I know that. And I need God to teach me. I need God to show me and do things in my life that only he can do. And so I'm putting myself out there to be a better dad. You know, man, I wish I could go back and be a dad over again. I told Jennifer the other day, I said, hey, you want to have another set of kids? She said no. So that's Okay. It's all right. I'm dealing with that one. But no. It was a joke. And so really what happens, my eyes were open to some stuff that was inside me that I needed to yet learn. I just need to learn some stuff. I, I have a lot of learning to do. And so I think some of us, that's the beginning point, is that maybe the reality is, is I'm not sitting here knowing everything. I'm sitting here not knowing a whole lot. And I want to learn. I want to be a student for life, to find life, and for the rest of my life, duration of life, I want to do that. So, you know, I, and I say this all the time. I've been following after Christ for 29 years now. And in 29 years, this is where I'm at. I might be a second semester freshman. 29 years. And that's the reality. I'm not, I'm not in any kind of graduate program. I'm a second semester freshman. And I'm the pastor. Come on. You see what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot of learning to do here. And so we got to open ourselves up there. Now, there's three kinds of people when it comes to being students. I think this is in your handout. There's three kinds of students in the world. There's, there's those who think they have arrived. You know, they, they got it all figured out. They know everything. At least they think they do. Uh, they think they have it all figured out. They, they kind of have that mentality or that attitude that everyone else is stupid, but I'm the only wise one on the planet, Right? And, and kind of, and I just wrote this phrase, is that life is just one big audience waiting to learn from the master. Little people, let me teach you. Be still, my child. And we just kind of have that idea that we have all the answers, and we got it all figured out, and we've arrived, and boy, that's a poor student to think to think that way that I've got that happening. I, I love my father-in-law. My father-in-law is an amazing man. He's 86 years old, I think. I think that's right, 86. And, uh, they, his, and my mother-in-law, they'll be married 70 years this year. 70 years. That's a long time, right? He just recently got an iPad. Is that not the coolest thing? Had no idea how to push it. He didn't even know that you could actually put your fingers on the screen and it would make something happen. He was like, what? How does that work? I was like, hey, it's a magic, you know. 
Well, then all of a sudden, somebody had a great idea in our family, Jennifer's sister, that he needed to understand how to use FaceTime. He has about seven people that he can FaceTime with. (laughs) I'm one of them. So all of a sudden now, I'm getting like three calls a day from my father-in-law FaceTime, and here's how it goes. I go, you know, ding, 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 you know, I'm like, oh, it's Johnny. (laughs) Hey, Johnny. He goes, hey, Troy. (laughs) I'm like, what's going on, Johnny? He goes, not much, just see what you're doing. (laughs) I'm like, well, John, I'm coming right in the middle of the meeting, you know, like, like right now. Oh, okay. All right. And he just hangs up. That's it. I mean, that's all. <laughs> and it's like, you know, but, but you know, here's what I love about it. I love my father-in-law's willingness to always, always be a student. It just, it inspires me. Every time I get around him, just the willingness to learn something new. Now, obviously, that's more in a human area, but he's got that. It's, it's part of who he is. So, you know, and by the way, some of us, we never got or get out of stupid because we think we already have all the answers. Some of us, stupid is all over us because we think we've arrived. And it's kind of a weird thing. And here's why it's a weird thing. Because a lot of times, all the people around us can see stupid but us. Because when we think we've arrived, we get really blind to stuff. And we don't see it. And so I've got to have that heart that says, Lord, teach me. Teach me. Learn me. Help me to learn things. Here's the second group. Those who really don't care. Those who really don't care, you know, they, they're just happy right where they're at. Um, you know, learning is overrated. Books are overrated. You know, I mean, anything that has to do with life, learning about anything is overrated. I don't want to do that. And they just don't care. And a lot of times, here's, here's what I've experienced with people that don't care, is in some shape or form, they've been hurt by stupid, and so they just kind of give up. And I think that's a sad place to be, but there's a lot of people out there that just don't really care. And then there's the last group, and this is a group we're talking about today, is those who are willing to learn. Those who are willing to learn. And by the way, our, our, our youth pastor, I thought about the, probably the best guy I know right now in my life is Brent, our youth pastor, is an amazing student. I mean, he just learns, learns, learns. He's committed to it. By the way, he chose this weekend to be gone on vacation. <laughs> How wise is that? I don't know. <laughs> But, um, you know, he, he's, he's just a great learner. Matter of fact, sometimes he's so aggressive about learning that I have to say, hey, man, can you just take a step back so we can breathe here? Because, man, this is pretty intense as far as how you want to do it. But that's his passion. He wants to learn. And so I think that's a great student to be in that position. Now, so I looked up on Google, did a little search. And you could do the same thing. And to, I just searched the perfect student or a great student. And here's some things that came up uh, that really practical things. Uh, Ask quality questions. Great students always ask quality questions. Great students are committed to work hard. They're not lazy. Great students are willing to lead when they're called upon. You know, they they don't back down, they step up. They're they're involved in the process. They don't kind of isolate themselves over away from everybody else. They actually get involved in the process. They're internally motivated. In other words, nobody's kicking them in the pants, say, get going, get going. There's just something about it that says, hey, I want to go after this thing because they know that there's value here. They're, they're a natural problem solver. They're trustworthy in their character. They're not going to cheat. A good student doesn't cheat, right? They have integrity. You know, it has a solid support system. I thought that was an interesting one about great students, that they actually have a solid support system. By the way, here's a great place for a plug for life groups. 
Because when I do relationship and life with other people, all of a sudden, maybe I have a better chance of being a good student or a great student in life. Always seizes opportunities to improve. So that's from Google, you know. Uh, but I want to look at some scriptures and thoughts here about three keys to being a student for life. Three keys to being a student for life. That life thing of finding life, gaining life, and duration of life. And so here's the first one. Is that if I'm going to be a student for life, I've always got to be in a position to learn. A position to learn. In other words, the student says, teach me. Teach me. Every day is a teach me moment. Lord, Lord, teach me. I, I want to learn from you. Teach me. And, and I'm in a position that says, teach me. It says in Proverbs 18, intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Not just knowledge, and and by the way, you have to understand that when Scripture talks about knowledge, it's not talking about you amassing a stack of facts so you can pass some kind of quiz or test at the end of life. It's talking about how you live life, okay, how you do life. That's that's where it's really pointing towards. And so, and what all this means is they're always in study mode. They, they spend time getting to know the subject. They're, they're not just reading the manual. Instead, they're ready to put it into practice. They're not just looking for trivia. They're looking for answers. They're looking for a way to do life that makes sense. They understand the value and the importance of learning because they understand life without learning is a dead end. They're always ready to learn the lessons of life that bring life. They're always ready to learn more about what it means to fear the Lord. They're always ready to learn, to hear and listen to the voice of God. They're always trying to position themselves to know God better. Always ready to learn how to rely on God more. To have good judgment and good sense. To learn to be content. All those things are in a position to be a learner. By the way, you might have noticed it when I went through those. All those are in Scripture. Every one of those are in Scripture. When you go and you do a little search on the word learn, all of those things that I just listed are connected to that. Obedience, contentment, good sense, going after and relying on God's will, all those things. And the question then for us right now is this, are you in a position to learn? Are you in a position to learn? Is that you? Is that, Lord, teach me. Are you saying, Lord, teach me, or are you saying something else? Are you saying to the Lord, teach me, are your ears open? So that's the first one. The second one is really the big one today, is that to be a student for life is I have to always remain open to correction. <sighs> really? <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the hard one because our text says to, love, to learn is to love discipline. In other words, I'm, I'm embracing it. I'm grabbing a hold of it. And it says if I'm stupid, I actually hate correction. I just think about it this way. How many of you, when maybe somebody came to you and said, hey, you're wrong, how'd you re- respond? Thank you. <laughs> I love you and I love what you had to say and I'm excited about this. <laughs> right? No. A lot of us have this. That's why stupid is so alive in so many of us is because we hate the correction. We don't love the discipline. The word discipline in the Hebrew means to instruct with warning or to chastise. It's a spanking. It's that idea of sparing the rod, spoiling the child, all that kind of stuff, that I'm going to be disciplined or corrected 
by God. I'm going to be instructed with this warning from heaven. So what it means then is when I'm disobedient, when I'm rebellious, when I'm wrong in my attitude or in my thoughts or, or no matter what it is, I'm always open for correction or open for instruction. Every stage of my life or every situation of my life where I'm wrong, the student says, correct me. That just rubs us. Correct me. You know, like, and see, this is where it gets in the way. Because this is that rubber meets the road. Am I willing and am I open to correction? Am I really in a position where, God, you can tell me something that I'm doing wrong, and I go, thank you, I love that? Or am I hating it? Because it's the difference between stupid and a student. It's the difference between whether or not I'm really moving forward with this or not. And I, I ask myself this question, why do I hate correction? Why do I hate it? I'm just like you. I mean, I don't like it when people correct me. Correct me. I don't like it when God corrects me. I kind of like to say I do, but I, I mean, there's something in me that fights against that. And I, th I think there's a couple things that, I always do this, there's a couple things here. I got to work on that. There's a couple things. Uh, we don't want to appear wrong or, or less than. We just don't want to appear that way. As a matter of fact, here's what's interesting about that is we are more intense about what it appears to be than what actually is right in relationship to God. Because we don't want to be corrected because it's going to look like I don't know what I'm doing or I'm less than or I'm just not quite measuring up. And I don't like to be corrected. I know that's me. Another one is this, is that we built up resistance to correction over time. See, a lot of us, I think what's happened is life has happened and it's hurt and it's been painful or maybe somebody's been abusive in their correction. Maybe their words weren't full of grace. They were full of criticism and, and, and hate and, and just there's all these other things. And then all of a sudden, every time somebody says, hey, what about this? Or maybe God comes and says, hey, what about this? And the first reaction is, and we're resistant to it because we built that up in us. But students say, correct me. Correct me. Help me to see this. So in the book of Hebrews, the epistle of Hebrews, chapter 12, there's some insight. And it's kind of an interesting text. It actually speaks about the Lord's discipline. And by the way, the Lord's discipline happens in a couple ways. It happens in conviction. It happens in consequences, Right? And sometimes it just happens because God literally steps in and he brings about something in my life because he's going to say, hey, you know what, There's, that's enough of that. I love you, let's, let's change this. And so that's how it happens. So check this out. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 5. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. What's that mean? Don't blow off correction. Don't blow off conviction. Don't blow off the consequences and don't make light of it. Don't justify it. Don't try to cover it up or, or explain it away. Instead, embrace it. Welcome it. And it goes on. It says, don't give up when he corrects you. When God corrects you, don't, don't fall down in a fetal position and say, oh my, I'm just such a worthless person. I can't believe. Don't do that. Don't whine about it. Don't complain about it. Instead, embrace it. Welcome it. Say, okay, God. Come on, let's do this thing. Here, here it goes on. It says, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. There it is again. This idea that love 
and being a student or wisdom are all connected. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. And really what that means is know that for sure God only corrects those he loves. It is not a sign of disapproval. It's a sign of acceptance and love. I came across this quote this week and just rocked my world and it said this, the greatest danger of all is when God is no longer angry with us when we sin. Let me say that again. The greatest danger of all is when God is no longer angry with us when we sin. That's scary. Because somehow I've gotten past the correction point. He's not correcting it at all. I thought about it my own life. My, when I was growing up, when I was 16, I was stupid, partying all the time and getting high all the time. I mean, I was just out there. And I, I, many times when I, I do this, I, I left on a Friday after school. I didn't even come home from school, and I just went out and just went on a wild weekend. Showed back up home Monday morning early enough to grab, change of clothes, take a shower so I could go to school. That's how wild I was. My parents had tried and wrestled with me and tried to help me get going the right way and disciplined me and all these kind of different things and grounded me and, you know, you name it, they did it. And I, it didn't make any difference. I came walking. As I walked up to the house that morning about 7.30, 8 o'clock, right then my dad was walking out. And as he was walking out, I was bracing myself because every time I'd done this kind of stuff, there were times where he would kind of rough me up a little bit, push me around, and, you know, and that's just where I grew up and... and I was bracing for that. He was angry with my sin. And as I walked up to him, he just put his head down. He said, I don't know what to do with you. I give up. And he walked by me. I thought to myself, wow, two thoughts. I can finally do what I want to do. He didn't know anything anyway. But then it started dawning on me later on that that was a very sad moment. Because I didn't understand that the discipline was really love. And when he quit doing it, really the love stopped. We've talked about it since then. Him, my dad and I, we talked about it. I, I, I came back and apologized. But it's, it's understanding what we're talking about here that, that he loves us. That's why it's discipline. And to not embrace that is not to embrace love. It's to blow it off. Here it goes on. It goes on. As you endure... Verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember, the word endure, notice that, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Again, it's this relationship thing. And really what this means is don't go partway or halfway. Learn to be patient because some of the best lessons of life take time. They take time. Some of the things that are deep within us that God is trying to work out and it takes time. I've got to hang in there. I can hang in there. I got to endure it. Then it goes on in verse uh, 10. It says, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. And when I was reading this, what I was thinking about, how many times has God been trying to discipline me or correct me? And I want to have a debate with God. I don't know if you're doing a good thing here, God. I don't know if you know what you're doing. I got this all figured out. What are you doing? Hey, it's good. It's good. Don't argue or debate with God. He knows what's best for my life. It's all good. He's leading me to a great place. Next verse says, no discipline is enjoyable. (laughs) Duh. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. Listen to this. Don't allow yourself to be instructed in only the things you like or you're comfortable with. 
Don't allow yourself to just be instructed in the things you like or you're comfortable with because some people, they love instruction about prayer and worship, but they are resistant to be instructed as a parent or a husband or a spouse. I mean, that's not correction. It's, it's, it's not always enjoyable and so, or vice versa. Sometimes the most painful experiences are the places where we learn the deepest lessons of life. You just have to know that. And the last one, it says, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest. In other words, there's going to be a good thing happening because you're a student for life. A peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained, another word for being a student, in this way. In other words, always keep your focus on the end result, that you're going to share in His holiness and you're going to have a peaceful harvest. In other words, it's going to be better. It's going to improve the quality of your life. Worship team's going to come. Worship team's going to come. And here's the last point. Is it? First of all, if we're going to be students for life, we have to always position ourselves to learn. Lord, teach me. We always have to remain open to correction. Lord, correct me. And the last one is we need to follow in the footsteps of great teachers. Lord, show me. How's he going to show me? How's he going to show me? And, and really show me, you think about it, what's the best way is I, I can go to Jesus. I can look to Jesus. He's the best way for me to learn wisdom. Jesus. Lord, to come to you. Lord, if, if you lay down your life, help me to lay down my life. If, if, if you were, were bold against different things that stood against your, your ways, then, Lord, I want to be bold. I mean, we're going to look at the footsteps of great teachers, namely the teacher Jesus. Always look for the right pattern. And here's the question. Who are you following? Who in your life is the person or the idea or the thought of wisdom coming from. Sometimes, you know, I get around business people and I'm thinking, you know, they're, you know, maybe it's Warren Buffett. He's my, he's my wisdom. You get around people that want to be athletic stars, you know, and they're looking for the latest, greatest athletic person. That's my wisdom. A movie star, a a person that lives a certain lifestyle. Boy, I wish I had that lifestyle. And we look and say, that's what I'm following. That's wisdom for me. But see, a great student understands that I'm going to follow in the footsteps of great teachers. Those that are wise and godly things already, and I'm going to learn that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine pretty bold statement to be in a position where you could actually say, hey, I'm doing this thing, true wisdom thing, do it with me. That's pretty bold. And learn from those who follow our example. In other words, find out other people that are doing the same. Follow that example. Those that have given their lives to true wisdom, take that as your lead. That's what great students do. So here's, here's where we close. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of me. Follow me, and I will give you life. Follow me. Really what he was saying is, he was saying, learn of me. Be a part of me. Remember what I said at the very beginning, that being stupid or being wise is a choice? It's a choice. Jesus is saying, follow me. And you get the choice to say, okay, I'll follow. When you say that, what it means is, you're realizing the way you've been doing it hasn't been the right way, and so now you need to change leadership and who's calling the shots and God's perspective, all these different things, and I'm surrendering or I'm bowing down to those things. And when I do that, God 
forgives me. His hand rests upon me and said, okay, we're going to do this together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many of you today would just simply say before the Lord, God, you're speaking to me about being a student. And I need to surrender and commit my life to Jesus and follow. I need to position myself and say, Lord, teach me. I, I need to be open to correction and say, Lord, correct me. Lord, show me. But more than anything else, Lord, I need to come and say, God, I'm committing my life to you. That's what I need to do right now today. If that's you, would you just wave your hand at me? Say, yeah, yeah, thank you. Lord, every hand that was raised, I pray with them. And I say, Lord, forgive me for the way I've been doing life and help me to do life the way you want me to. Help me to make the right decision right now because of faith. You're stirring that in me, and I'm choosing just to say yes. And so, Lord, forgive me. Begin healing me. Begin showing me the direction of wisdom and help me to walk in it. In Jesus' Amen. I want to invite you all to stand with us today as we enter.